What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Concert for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, wow, we have an absolutely packed show for you. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six new movies to talk about. Uh, I told you guys I would catch up. I definitely did. And it was the biggest release week of the year. So both of those things combined. Uh, we're scrapping the usual format. No something new, something old, something to stream. This week, it's straight bangers. It's <laughs> all the new releases. Which ones should you watch? Which ones can you pass on? Um, we're also going to kind of be wrapping back around on In the Heights. I got tons of feedback from you guys. Apparently, I struck a nerve with my uh, review last week, so we're going to be circling back on that. And they're also going to be touching briefly on movies that are coming soon. So consider this your summer movie preview as well as review. Uh, And first up on the docket is Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move. On this podcast, I often mention how my favorite genre of movie is noir. And I often get the question... What the heck is noir? (laughs) So in honor of Steven Soderbergh's latest movie, which is the purest expression of noir in several decades, for better and for worse, I wanted to clarify. The first thing I tell people is noir is kind of like crime, but that's oversimplified. Noir is first and foremost a vibe. Think street lamps on a dark, rainy night. Snappy banner. Double crosses. That treacherous femme fatale. Think Humphrey Bogart in a trench coat in The Maltese Falcon or the staccato with which Fred McMurray calls Barbara Stanwyck baby in Double Indignity. Through time, the genre has bent and stretched into the updated neo-noir form which allowed the stories to move into the daylight like Chinatown, outside of the city like Fargo, and blend with other genres like comedy in The Big Lebowski, western like Hell or High Water, and even sci-fi in Blade Runner. Along the way, the stories have become more clean and easily digestible, uh, which is on the whole a good thing, but it bears remembering that noir is not meant to be a walk in the park. The plot is supposed to be complicated, to the brink of being convoluted, which isn't always a bad thing, as The Big Lebowski or Get Shorty proves. And the world of the story is meant to be ruled by cynicism, fatalism, and moral ambiguity. There are no heroes here, and nobody emerges from the grime and the muck unscathed. So when I tell you that No Sudden Move no sudden move is pure noir, I don't mean that entirely as a glowing compliment. In fact, I'd argue that audiences have been trained like Pavlov's dogs for years now to reject movies that are as difficult as this one. There are at least a dozen stakeholders in this story about a heist gone wrong in 1950s Detroit, and none of their motivations are made clear until the last possible moment. Of course... Withholding information is Soderbergh's filmmaking signature, and it's one of the traits I like most about him. But even I will admit that this movie is a bit dense. In classic noir fashion, a small crime continues to expand and the stakes keep rising until the movie takes on themes as huge as redlining and generational wealth distribution in the United States. But a first-time watcher will be left so in the dark, he or she is straining to make sense of what is unfolding. That level of ambition toes a very fine line between brilliant and illegible, and this movie dances right on the edge. Luckily, there to guide you through the journey is 
an absolutely incredible cast. Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, John Hamm, David Harbour, Brendan Fraser looking thick, <laughs> Julia Fox also looking thick, <laughs> Amy Simons, Kieran Culkin from Succession, Noah Jupe, who is literally the kid in everything this year. And there's also one surprise A-lister who I don't want to spoil but completely brings the house down in the final 15 minutes. Every aspect of the production is on point at the level of mastery one can always expect from Soderbergh. The thing I love most about Soderbergh is his willingness to experiment. He'll shoot an entire movie on an iPhone. He'll shoot an entire movie on an Atlantic Crossing. And in this case, shamelessly, go for absolute Heisenberg blue crystal level purity of noir. If you get it, great. If you don't, who cares? I have a feeling this is a movie that I will return to after some time passes and start to realize it's pretty fantastic. Hopefully, you do the same. All right, the next movie we have to talk about is F9, The Fast Saga. <laughs> it's currently playing in theaters. They may have run out of ways to remix the Fast and Furious title. They've definitely run out of reasons why or how Vin Diesel and his band of merry mates go on these adventures, but make no mistake... The Fast franchise is stronger than ever before. Pandemic be damned. The ninth sequel has already made over $500 million globally. We know huge CGI heavy action movies crush overseas, especially in China, soon to be the biggest movie market in the world. But over $125 million worth of Americans have already proven that the muscle car familia is a brand made of Teflon. There will be another 5 to 10 installments, I guarantee it. Which isn't to say F9 is a good movie, it definitively is not. Seriously, there are porno movies with better backstory development than this. And the analogy works doubly because Vin Diesel is perpetually dressed to fix your plumbing. Luckily, audiences in both cases just come for the action, and in that regard, it's pretty insane the stunts they can pull off now with the help of CGI. The sheer scale of action in this movie is something that would have been impossible to imagine even 25 years ago. I was thinking the other day about how the biggest stunt in 1994 Speed, a vastly superior movie by the way, was Keanu Reeves jumping from a car to a bus going 55 miles an hour and later jumping that bus over a 20-foot gap. Here, running and leaping between cars going 100 miles an hour is an afterthought and the corresponding crevice jump is several hundred feet across an international border using an impromptu rope bridge slingshot that would have made Sir Isaac Newton himself scratch his head. The hardest challenge in prolonging this money machine disguised as a film franchise is coming up with new excuses for the cast of mechanics and small-time crooks to, uh, checks notes, uh, turn into international super spies, <laughs> or should I say intergalactic astronauts, because they really do go to space in this movie. A ridiculous idea, which I'm convinced was the premise upon which they patched the rest of the script around. Make no mistake, at this point, the Familia members are Avengers with $300,000 cars as supersuits. Now, that's triggering for me. <laughs> because just like Marvel movies, the Fast franchise has decided to remove all consequences in favor of immediate gratification. Actions no longer matter because everything can be undone in service of having your cake and eating it too. I call this the Chewbacca problem in dishonor of the spineless moment in Star Wars when Rey blows up Chewbacca's ship out of the sky only for us to learn five seconds later he's totally fine. Restock the merch. F9 re resurrects Han, a character whose death several movies ago was one of the only emotionally substantial moments in the entire franchise, 
with a quick yada yada story. <laughs> Since Marvel and Fast are in many cases the only movies that people watch these days, you're basically feeding an entire generation of moviegoers a diet of candy and then wondering why they never want to eat slash watch vegetables or really even a perfectly cooked steak. Han's resurrection and retconning of Tokyo Drift characters in this movie makes sense, though, in the context of continuously having to refresh one of the largest casts in movie history, cycling out those with better things to do, like Gal Gadot, Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, keeping happy the regulars with literally nothing better to do, like Tyrese, Ludacris, Jordana Brewster, and adding literally any famous person willing to play along. Grab a Cardi B for a scene. Talk Charlize Theron and Helen Mirren into returning somehow. And for the big bad heavy, let's try out John Cena, who was most recently acting next to a cow, an actual cow, in the Experian commercials. This movie is big, loud, and enormously stupid. I have no doubt that the next one, and the one after that, will be even bigger, louder, and more stupid. Can we make a promise on this newsletter and this podcast to just stop caring, please? All right, next up is Zola, also playing in theaters. And really, it was only a matter of time before a tweet got adapted into a movie. I mean, we're already plumbing the depths of podcasts for material, not to mention video games. Seriously, how long before a Fortnite movie comes out? We're plumbing Legos and literally the emojis on your keyboard. So if you're going to pick one, you couldn't do much better than the 100-plus tweet viral thread that Asia Zola King sent out in 2015, involving strippers, prostitutes, pimps, child trafficking, a jealous cuckold, vomit, a suicide attempt, and at least one murder. It's just about the craziest story you'll ever come across. Of course, this movie comes from A24, the masters of delicate human stories, and they, along with director Genesia Bravo, do a masterful job of approaching sensitive material with a deft touch. I don't know about you all, but... I have never been in a room where prostitution is taking place. I've never been backstage at a strip club. I've never been yelled at by a pimp. <laughs> These moments could have easily been glamorized, fetishized, or even degraded, but they were none of those things. The presentation is raw and real in a way that is uncomfortable but electric. Moment to moment, this movie is chaotic but thrilling. It's also absolutely shameless and a little unhinged in the way Uncut Gems was. Really, the guardrails are definitely off. It's also hilarious, thanks to great comedic timing from leads Taylor Page and Riley Keough, and scene-stealing work from literally one of my favorite human beings on the planet, Nicholas Braun, who better known as Cousin Greg from Succession. But uh, from a big-picture standpoint, Zola, it's really tough to even call this an 85-minute project a uh, movie, quote-unquote. It's a very re faithful recre recreation of the Twitter thread, but there's no plot here in a traditional sense. The movie doesn't build toward anything or have a message it's trying to get across. The characters have no real development, no arc, and relatively little nuance in their motivations. There's no takeaways, except, holy crap, that was wild. <laughs> so I'm not going to pretend it's cinema. Uh, it's not. But it is one hell of a good time. Next up is The Tomorrow War, which is streaming exclusively on Amazon Prime Video, and unless it's on Netflix, it's safe to wonder at this point, every time you see a movie get marked as streaming only and not coming to theaters, whether or not the studio is doing that to avoid the embarrassment of a giant flop. Or maybe the Bezos Brigade 
really expects this Chris Pratt-led sci-fi action movie to draw in hordes of new Prime subscribers. Doubtful. Uh, the, this movie is a derivative Frankenstein monster made up of pieces from other more successful movies. It's equal parts Independence Day, Terminator, and The Matrix. The execution of those concepts here is actually totally fine. It just feels so stale. And for a movie that includes aliens and time travel, that's kind of a kiss of death. Of course, the movie is really about fathers and sons, just as quite literally every single sci-fi movie ever seems to be. Because apparently the threat of alien invasion and total annihilation of the species isn't quite enough motivation for our heroes. They also have to have daddy issues. At least in this case, that gives the movie an excuse to deploy J.K. Simmons, which is a casting choice I will always support no matter what. Currently in theaters and streaming on Hulu is Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. You may know Amir Questlove Thompson as the drummer and frontman for The Roots as part of Jimmy Fallon's The Tonight Show, but that undersells the writing, producing, DJing, interviewing, and chronicling that Thompson has done over the past de- you know, 20, 30 years. He is one of those rare figures in American pop culture with literally a 100% approval rating. After this directorial debut, which reverses the historical erasure of the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, his rating may have risen to 200%. (laughs) The movie serves as a fully functioning, never-before-seen concert featuring the likes of Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Nina Simone, The Fifth Dimension, Staple Singers, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Sly and the Family Stone, while also managing to memorialize the historical legacies of each artist and contextualize the the African-American experience of the late 1960s. It's one of those films that doubles as both an important historical document and a kick-ass experience. So I wasn't at all surprised when I saw it at Sundance that it would go on to win literally every category that it was eligible for. It seems like this would be an awesome movie to see in theaters, but it's also available on Hulu, and I can tell you that the small screen experience is pretty darn good too. All right, lastly, but not least, of course, uh, I actually, I wanted to kind of follow up on our discussion of In the Heights from last week. It's still on HBO Max and for, I think, only for this weekend. So if you haven't seen it and you want to stream it, I think this weekend is when it cuts off. It's also available in theaters and will continue to be for a while. Um, But apparently my review last week struck a nerve because I heard from a ton of you all with a similar refrain. Here are a few things that you guys said. Nathan writes, made me feel bad for being one of those people who only watched the first 10 minutes of In the Heights. (laughs) We ended up talking uh, this past week about the drummed up controversy surrounding the film's casting, which notably didn't include any Afro-Latinas in corresponding roles from the show. My opinion was that anyone who has heard Lin-Manuel Miranda speak knows how earnest and socially thoughtful he is, so the whole thing felt a bit cheap, uh, kind of a cheap shot, but... I don't think the firestorm had really any significant impacts on the box office receipts. All right, this was coming from Jordan. Uh, He said, let's be honest, though. One of the big reasons In the Heights hasn't done well is because Americans don't like good movies. Americans love mindless action movies with lots of explosions, gunshots, and fast cars. And then later on, he added with perfect irony, funnily enough, I actually haven't seen In the Heights yet. (laughs) 
Uh, he mentioned how few people have even heard of the Best Picture nominees each year, uh, to which I replied, it's a good thing he subscribed to a newsletter that talks about them nonstop. <laughs> Jordan might be this newsletter's number one Marvel defender, so despite the fact that he is absolutely preaching my sermons for me here, uh, I won't mention which side of the divide his beloved MCU rests on. And lastly, I wanted to share this. My favorite response and stamp of approval comes from reader Dale, who told me he thought the movie looked good but had no intention to watch it until I you know, kind of called him out with my newsletter last Friday. Here's what he said. My wife and I just saw In the Heights. It was the first movie that we've seen in a movie theater since the pandemic began early last year, and we were weekly moviegoers before COVID. We both loved the movie and are so glad that you recommended it. We are Hamilton fans, and I told my wife that I believe having already experienced Hamilton made it easier to get in the heights. The two productions certainly share a common thread and feel, which isn't for everyone. I think this is a must-see for anyone that loves musicals and or Hamilton. Okay, real quick, because I know uh, this episode's already running long, um, I wanted to run through, and you can actually, you can read these on the newsletter uh, if you want to, uh, again, mattcraig.substack.com, but real quick, coming uh, soon, these are some other summer movies to look forward to. You got Black Widow, which is actually released today, if you're, uh, if you're listening to this, Black Widow's out, and it marks the first release of a major Marvel Cinematic Universe movie since July 2nd, 2019, over two years ago. Uh, so it's going to kill, no doubt, but how strong will the Marvel fans show up at the box office, especially with the option to purchase the movie uh, for $30 over the top on Disney+. Plus? Good question. It seems like f 9 $70 million opening weekend record post-pandemic is certain to fall, but that $100 million threshold is so tantalizing, I would truly it would truly signal that the death knell for movie theaters was sounded a little prematurely. Hard to hang the entire future of the industry on a single movie, but if one, if this one can't produce, uh, then no one can. Early reports are that Florence Pugh, one of this newsletter and this podcast's absolute goddesses, steals the show from the likes of ScarJo, David Harbour, and all the other actors locked into 12 movie blood oaths with Kevin Feige and the Marvel Overlords. Coming uh, the week after that, July 16th, uh, is the new Space Jam movie. And the irony of LeBron James, one of the world's most conscientious defenders of his own personal brand, starring in an absolutely ridiculous movie with the subtitle A New Legacy, is not lost on me. So Space Jam, A New Legacy, out July 16th. And then the week after that, two movies, um, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe Origins uh, movie, because, yeah, we were all clamoring for another entry into the prestigious G.I. Joe cinematic universe, right? Uh, maybe not, but Paramount is desperate, grasping for straws, and apparently sympathetic origin stories for faceless villains are all the rage this year. Looking at you, Cruella. So here we go. The movie's success will ride on the charisma of Henry Golding, a stunningly handsome man who has yet to prove he's much of an actor. It's uh, unlikely to me that he can change my mind here because the chances I go to see this movie are somewhere between slim and none. And then lastly, we uh, got a shout out old, which is coming out also July 23rd. I've seen this trailer for this movie like at least 10 times now, and I'm starting to get annoyed by it. Either M. Night Shyamalan is playing his cards very close to the chest, which I would respect, or this movie, this entire movie takes place on the same boring beach. Please tell me there's something more here than just to escape. 
with some kind of like Shyamalan twist at the end that the beach is like a mini world inside of some kid's fishbowl or some dumb crap like that. <laughs> I admit I have very little faith in Shyamalan after the crime against humanity that was Glass. All right, whew, I told you guys it was going to be a long episode. Packed in, we got it in. Uh, that is six new movies uh, for me to pick from. Hopefully you watch one of them. If you watch any of them, I would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Did you like it more than me? Did you hate it? Uh, yeah, let me know. Get on, get in touch with me at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter or through the newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com. I... I, one, I love hearing from you guys, and two, I would love uh, to put more of your feedback and your thoughts in the newsletter like we do in the Heights. I think that kind of conversation and community building is something that uh, could be really fun as we approach this summer, but especially this fall, because we're getting tons and tons of great movies this fall that we're going to want to talk about. So um, let's get it rolling. Get in touch with me. Um, guys, yeah, we, we rolled out. I guess we got to do Black Widow uh, next week. <laughs> You guys love when I talk about Marvel movies. You love when I talk about how much I don't like Marvel movies. Um, so, yeah, but I guess we're going to be talking about Black Widow next Friday. So you got that to look forward to. Uh, all the Marvel fans out there, come ready with your pitchforks and your torches uh, because you're going to want to you're going to come for me after. <laughs> but guys, um, until then, I guess I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>